Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hey, it's Melvin again. When we recorded for Dear Evan Hansen, we recorded over two hours of content, and then Daniel had more thoughts, so he recorded them for this segment here. With so much to cover, we decided to split our discussion on Dear Evan Hansen into three parts. You're listening to part three, Daniel's closing thoughts. So hopefully you've heard parts one and two already. If not, they're in the Cinematic Doctrine podcast feed, so check them out there. Otherwise, enjoy. Hi, this is going to be sort of unusual, uh, as you may have immediately recognized. I am not Melvin. I am not pretending to be Melvin. Could not even dream of becoming Melvin, really. So, recently we recorded an episode for the film Dear Evan Hansen, which is an adaptation of the 2015 musical of the same name. And I came off very harsh in the episode, and I 100% stand by everything I said. But... I feel like there are a lot of things that I said sort of offhand that I am not comfortable with them sitting out there and not being explained. And as I'm recording this, the episode hasn't debuted yet or anything. I've just been thinking about it, and I want to really fully explain my feelings on why certain things about the film bother me so much, especially because, like I said, these are issues that are near and dear to my heart. And I'm not going to get into my personal history or anything like that. It's been mentioned so often on the podcast that if the show is popular enough to have like in jokes and memes and things, I'm sure it, I had mental illness quote from Dan or at this point, Melvin as well would probably be on a t-shirt or something. And But that's not the only reason the show struck such a negative show. Film struck such a negative chord with me. It really bothered me deeply on some things. Uh, the first deals with Evan Hansen, the character himself. Now, part of why I felt so comfortable just throwing this character under the bus, well, first off, he's fictional. This is not a real person who is really struggling with issues. And he actually deviates very far from, in theory, who the character is quote-unquote inspired by. As we mentioned in the episode, this whole film was in musical or inspired by instance where someone at one of the writer's schools tragically passed away and people started to sort of overemphasize or even invent how close they were to this person, which in and of itself is an interesting thing to write a story about. There's And there's actually been quite a few real-life instances of this uh, where people try and place themselves as being Holocaust survivors or 9-11 survivors or something like that. Uh, however, Evan is not one of these people that really exists. He is made up for the movie, which, you know, reason one, I'm comfortable making fun of him. But perish the thought like it, just because a character is not real if the character for example had something like down syndrome 
or if they were bluntly stated to be severely autistic, or if they were said to have some sort of specific mental illness of some kind, I certainly would be much more uh, sympathetic, but in potentially even celebratory, depending on how they performed the character and wrote the character. In Evan's instance, he has movie mental illness. He does not have specific symptoms of any kind. What he does have seems to change from scene to scene. He is awkward in conversations initially, and then as the movie goes along, he is fine. He miraculously recovers throughout the film. All the things he has from one scene where he can't, he's fumbling his note cards or trying to give a speech. He it, it avoids, you know, direct eye contact. He doesn't really talk to people. He gets really sweaty in social situations. He has the beginnings of what might seem to be panic disorders. Really, he just has an amalgam of things the writers had seen people in other movies and television shows who are said to have mental illness or be neurodivergent have. And so the situations just change depending on what the scene that needs to have him do. I'm very comfortable criticizing this character because he doesn't have anything. And you could read into the story. Again, this is, gets into the problem with the movie itself. But the way they write it is I think it's supposed to imply that, you know, he gets more confidence, things goes on. But literally the first sequence in which he suddenly can speak totally fine is in the initial scene where he begins to really lie about his relationship with Connor, which sort of goes into one of my second thing that really bothers me with this character, which is Evan is a character who is fully aware of what he's doing. Like he understands what he's doing is wrong. And at any point he could totally stop. The first scene we see him where he, you know, early on, he can't even talk to Zoe. He runs away from her. And then later when he's at the dinner scene, he initially wants to tell them that this whole thing's misunderstanding. And then in the moment he backs off and then begins to just lie completely and fabricate an entire story where he and Connor are running through the forest together and frolicking and what have you. He initially is fumbling his words He's a little nervous, which is okay, fine. Maybe he's social anxiety. But I'm just going to say, I, no one I know who has social anxiety just becomes an eloquent speaker in the moment because they're overwhelmed with the situation. Most people, if they're severely anxious or they don't know what to do, they'll start to shake. They'll start to shut down. They'll start to sort of be, have difficulty talking. They might stutter. They might do all kinds of sort of things. Evan, I mean, it's a musical, so he starts to sing. I understand that. But the singing is supposed to signify to the audience in the language of the film, like he we're supposed to fill in the blanks. He's giving some elaborate, beautiful story of what he and Connor would do. So in the language of the film, Evan is overcoming his own mental illness for some reason. It's I, I made a comment that like, and I think it might sound like a joke, but I'm genuinely serious. Like, are we supposed to believe that he just gets a huge rush from lying is this like him really coming into his own and becoming who he wants to be? Because if that's true, that's just awful. And I that is not a character to pity or sympathize with. The other thing is throughout the movie, Evan is constantly talking about how messed up what he's doing is. Again, like if this character is played as, I don't know, he's disconnected from reality. He has an inability to understand the severity of his own actions, like outside of just being a teenager. Like we're given none of that. There's no reason to think that he doesn't understand the moral complexity of what he's doing. There's no reason to to believe that he doesn't understand the suffering he's causing outside of he is lonely. And quite frankly, that's not a good enough reason to give him a pass. This character has no specific mental illness. He is fully aware that what he's doing is wrong. There is no reason to side with him in the story. And so because of that, I am completely comfortable 
with just absolutely bagging on the character and throwing it under a bus. One of the things about the film that severely bothers me throughout the whole thing is the whole thing has a sprinkling, the smattering of just the language of mental health. We have, you know, no one says like triggers or they talk about having uh, fixations or anything like that because the film sort of predates that whole Twitter uh, era of things. And I don't I don't think the writers were on Tumblr. So they weren't in that era of Tumblr where people just put their diagnoses and medications in their Tumblr bios. But it does have the trappings of what is supposed to be an inspirational story about mental health. Because the songs and things talk about like loving yourself and coming out into the sun and everything's going to be okay. And there's almost it's there's almost a disconnect between the actual songs and the story it's being told. Like you could probably get a better experience just by listening to the soundtrack, quite frankly. But it has this mask of okay, these are people that are struggling, they're overcoming their issues. It just has this whole veneer of inspirational, overcoming adversity, overcoming disability story. And it's presenting itself as one thing in the music, in the way it's shot, in the way the characters react to one another. All the actual actions of the characters don't match what's going on at all. It basically is the version of the person who they're destroying their relationships. They're mean and abusive towards everyone around them. We all have someone like this in our lives who they're manipulative, they're vindictive, uh, they're unreasonable. And then they'll go on social media and they'll post about they're overcoming their battles. Everyone is struggling with something. People should just sympathize with them. And that's where I talk about how like I've met Evan Hansen before. We all have, where it is the person who they're struggling and they're using the language of mental health issues and they're co-opting these things that real people all the time are struggling with. And they're using it as sort of the shield against criticism in order to justify their own actions and behaviors. And that is just exactly the type of person Evan comes across as. And that is the exact type of person that this film reminded me of so much, which I mentioned I've met these people, other Evan Hansons, and both my personal life and my work life in my inpatient facility. And just to give a little context for what it's like, I worked at what's known as a stabilization unit. And what that is, is if you go to the emergency room and say that you're thinking of hurting yourself, or if you know, you're wandering in a parking lot or you wander into someone else's house, you don't know where you are and they call the cops or uh, if you attempt to take your own life and paramedics arrive in time, you get sent to me. The, the In theory, what the unit is supposed to be is, and we would have anywhere between 12 to like 30 patients, is you come in, you stay for one to three weeks, sometimes a month, if you're somebody with a very specific diagnosis, like if you have very severe OCD, or there's a specific specialist uh, that you are being transferred to. And the idea is like we help get you at a baseline. Uh, we try different types of uh, med combinations to try and get you to be lucid and able to understand what's going on, uh, try and sort of solve the immediate uh, presenting symptoms before you go on to where you should go, so some sort of outpatient program or a specific facility that specializes in whatever you're struggling with. And we saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of patients. Goodness, actually, now I'm thinking about it. An incalculable number of people would come in. You know, Sometimes patients would just be there for a few days, sometimes come in for a few weeks. To paint everything with an extremely broad brush, you could cut up our patients into four basic, actually called categories. Uh, the first is somebody who just has a general mental illness. They come in because they're very depressed or they're having suicidal ideation or some other thing. They come in, maybe they're not initially receptive to treatment because they're so lost in themselves, right? They have, they're super depressed. They're super anxious. They just are not ready. We work with them and get them to a place where they're able to get treatment. The second type of patient is somebody who 
is extremely psychotic. They don't know where they are. They don't know what year it is. They don't know who the president is. They don't know who uh, I am. They don't know who their family is. And this is either someone who's going through a manic episode. They're going. Their schizophrenia is acting up really bad. Sadder instances, we would get elderly patients who really what they're experiencing was early forms of Alzheimer's or something. Try and find them a geriatric psych unit to send them to. And those and those people, it was less about getting them to a place where they wanted to get help or wanted to get better, and more stabilizing them to either a moment where, like with people with schizophrenia, that gets a, that is stigmatized really heavily. But really, as long as you have the right medication, you completely clear up and live in a completely normal life. You know, I have friends who have schizophrenia who you would never know unless they told you. Fortunately, they don't feel comfortable telling people because it's so stigmatized. That's something that people see in movies. They see it as like, you know, the homeless guy screaming on the street. And uh, that's not what it's really like to throw in a little soapbox moment there. And so with those people, yeah, we would help them to get through their uh, manic episode or get through their mania and those people would essentially become different people by the time they were done there. Unless it was somebody who, as I mentioned, with something like dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, we would try and get them the help that they needed. Uh, the third type of patient we would have is somebody who, this is like their first tango with mental health. Maybe they're like a 16-year-old kid who is having a tough time at school and in a rash, in a rash decision did something maybe they shouldn't. Or this is somebody who has been had what we would consider a normal mental health experience up until some sort of traumatic event. You know, what a patient I always think about is somebody who, in a week's span, their entire family passed away tragically. They lost their children uh, and husband in a fire. Uh, they lost uh, another relative in a car accident, and they were just overcome with grief. And so they came in, we hooked them up with a good counselor, and they were gone within under a week, I think that person was. Yeah, and we get people like that. And sometimes also just as you age, you know, our brains are changing and deteriorating, unfortunately, over time. So you get somebody who suddenly they hit 50 or 60 and they start exhibiting signs of uh, psychotic behavior or suddenly they become much more moody and depressed than they used to. And that happens and that's totally normal. And so it's really no different than if you're going to the hospital to get checked up and it turns out, hey, you actually need to take blood pressure medicine or you need to change your diet. And really our brains are a part of our body and that happens to them as well. The fourth kind of patient if we had 30 people on a unit, there might be two or three of these people. They would be there for months on end, sometimes pushing a year. They were not there to get help. They were not there to get better. Uh, they used the language of mental health issues. They knew all the right things to say. They knew what symptoms and experiences they claimed that they were having. And I'm not talking about somebody who has what we would consider to be uh, a mental illness that causes well, attention-seeking behavior issues that cause you to constantly want someone to rescue you and help you because that is its own form of sickness and unfortunately people that have things like borderline personality disorder get a really bad rap in the mental health community for example because they're the people that will constantly claim they're about to hurt themselves and never do uh, i would argue that that is just a different form of mental illness right like and it is but it's so stigmatized in the industry i've heard rumblings that they're thinking you're trying to like relabel borderline personality disorder because it's so difficult to treat it's still a sickness. And that's just how the sickness manifests. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that know what to say. They know what symptoms to exhibit. And they know what to say to stay on the unit. They, While they're on the unit, they encourage other bad behaviors on the patients. They are manipulative. They try and constantly get what they want. If you, they'll ask one person for something, they say no. They'll ask every single health professional unit to try and get what they want. And they're there forever. And I was trying to find a way to explain this type of person. 
because this, again, I want to be careful what I say. And I'm going to re- reiterate something that I mentioned early on and in the previous episode, which is I'm talking about BoJack Horseman's. Now, for those of you who haven't seen the show, BoJack is a miserable, sad person who has depression. He has forms of anxiety. He has very negative thoughts that are persistent and bother him. And in reaction to this, he self-medicates. And anyone who's seen the show knows that BoJack is an incredibly selfish person. While he sometimes makes increment uh, progress here and there, sometimes he gets a little bit better. He often resorts to self-destructive behavior and tears people around him down. He tanks the careers of others when he doesn't fulfill his obligations and projects. He takes advantage of other people's kindness and trust. He uh, hurts the people around him constantly, and all in a desperate attempt to fix himself. Bojack has some mental illness, clearly, yet he is undeniably the root problem in the show itself, and there is something he is to empathize with and pitied to an extent. But at the end of the day, him feeling bad what he does doesn't make it okay. At the end of the day, the way he treats other people is wrong. It is demonstrably wrong. Really, what he needs to do is to work on himself. He needs to get help. He needs to admit that he has a problem. He needs to you know, stop thinking that because he is miserable and suffering, that that makes him okay and makes him the actual hero of the story because he's not. And I, But the thing is, I love BoJack Horseman. It's one of my favorite shows in the world. Dear Evan Hansen is the anti-BoJack Horseman. And that is where Dear Evan Hansen completely and utterly fails. Where even in a secular show like BoJack Horseman, which rejects most things about Christianity, it at least understands at the end of the day that BoJack is a broken person who needs to begin getting fixed. Dear Evan Hansen comes to the conclusion that Evan is perfect just the way he is. And that's just awful. And there's a million people in the world walking around who think that they are not the problem. The rest of the world is. And they're going to go around hurting other people, shielding themselves with the right lingo they learned from somewhere. And when I say so, I say, when I say I've met people like Dear Evan Hansen, I've met people who they look at themselves as the hero. They look at themselves as perfectly good just the way they are. And if other people get hurt, that, that happens. They're Bojack Horsemans without the redemption arc. They think that it's okay if they keep hurting other people, that it's okay if they do just awful things as long as they feel regretful about it or as long as they acknowledge the things they do are wrong or as long as they just keep plugging away and learn to look to a brighter tomorrow without looking at the destruction in their wake. I fully believe in forgiveness, obviously. I fully believe in grace and I believe that some of that has to come from the Lord. The problem is that Evan does not come to a place where he seeks true forgiveness. I fully believe it should be extended, and I think you should forgive people if they don't ask for it. But if you are the protagonist of our story, and you want me to like you or see you as a hero, then Evan needs to come to a place where he wants to, you know, (laughs) be redeemed. Again, going on Instagram live and saying, ah, yeah, I made that up. It rings a little hollow, doesn't it? That's just my feelings on that. Uh, I wanted to make sure I cleared the air a little bit because it's not that I, it's not that I dislike stories that have imperfect protagonists or I don't think characters should always be punished for what they do. But I think in an instance where you are dealing with important subject matter and topics where I'm being asked to feel a certain way about a character and everything in my bones is telling me to react a different way then it's going to be a little weird. Maybe this will be put up on the regular feed. I'm not sure. I'm going to try and do a little more, a bit of my own editing. Uh, Melvin does all the editing. He makes the logos. He runs the website. He does a ton of stuff. So uh, thank you for supporting us, especially given that, like I said, Melvin, who works a full-time job, does all the editing and 
does all like the logos and stuff and he does that on his own more or less for free and i also have like a full-time job and so it really means a lot that you guys have been giving us money on patreon you've been tweeting at us that you've been listening to the show and uh hopefully this leads to good conversation about mental health issues i'm always down to talk about them because i've lived it and worked it for several years now i mean this is starting to run a little long but I think the way we talk about mental health has become so bizarre because of, again, the way internet culture really uses it. As long as you say something um, not 100% truthful, you're gaslighting. Or if you say something borderline upsetting, it's triggering. And speaking of someone who's seen people actually get triggered in a set, in a controlled setting of a hospital unit, or I myself have probably had experiences like that, yeah, it's a little... It's a little not cool to see people take very serious things and use them to talk about online arguments. So, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.